The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 132. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make itself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery called Terra Firma, Part 1. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, if you could, we would greatly appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your Trekkie friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. The number one way we acquire new listeners is by recommendations. It's your recommendation that gets the podcast out there. And I've seen some some of y'all doing this on Twitter lately. We really do appreciate it. So thank you so much. Uh, all right. So <clears throat> Terra Firmer Part 1. Uh, first, I, right off the bat, I want to say I like this one. This is one of the better episodes in recent times uh, over the last few episodes. I, I like this one. And I think part of it, it's not just that it's Giorgio. It's that we get to see the non-touchy-feely <laughs> version of everybody. <laughs> I was going to say, a big part of why this one is is more entertaining is it's not focused on this therapeutic <laughs> self-affirmation junk. It's, yes, it's yeah. just straightforward. Much of it is just straightforward, non-reflective. How are we going to deal with this situation instead of wallowing in our emotions? Yes. And it's, it's definitely so. showing and not talking a lot of things. So yes. that's a very good thing. And Glasses is back. So we start with Glasses, played by uh, the the fame director. Oh, gosh, I had it. I tip my tongue in now. Uh, David. Cronenberg. Cronenberg, thank you. Uh, He's back uh, consulting with Dr. Culber about Giorgio's condition. Uh, He actually has a name in the credits, I guess, but uh, um, but I just think of him. Yeah, Yeah. I just think of him as glasses because they don't really use his name on screen and he's wearing glasses and it's the 31st century. So I'm (laughs) guessing he has a really severe retinax and allergy. (laughs) He said he said in the first episode that it's just because it makes him look smarter. Basically, (laughs) he likes the look. It's not that he needs them. It's like someone wearing a monocle today, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I I think they're I think they're sonic glasses. There you go. Sonic sonic glasses. Uh, Well, speaking of sonic glasses, uh, he, he explains that. The problem here is time travel messes with people. Our molecules want to be in their own time. And it's and it's worse if you're also from an alternate universe. So if you've traveled through time and traveled across uh, from another universe, it makes it even worse. This is brand new in Star Trek. We haven't had this idea before where time travel messes with you and and the dimensional travel messes and combining them is bad. I mean, it actually kind of makes sense, you know, because they talk about, you know, how they can detect if something's out of time because of the quantum, whatever, whatever, quantum entanglement and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It would it would cause a problem for your, your body. There is, though, an, uh, another 
place where time travel at extreme distances causes problems. It's mm-hmm. in the original series episode, All Our Yesterdays, mm-hmm. where Mr. Ataz has, the, the everyone on the planet has evacuated to the past because their son's going to go Nova. Mm-hmm. And Kirk, Spock, and McCoy get thrown back into the past. Kirk by a few hundred years, but Spock and McCoy by like 5,000. Right. And, and, and because their atoms were not adjusted to the time frame they're going to, they're going to die if they don't get back. Mm-hmm. And so they, it actually does sync up with some stuff from prior Star okay. Trek history. Ooh, that's interesting. interesting. I, I wonder if they that might be intentional. It'd be interesting. So uh, Glasses talks about, as an example, this time soldier from the 24th century who is a Reman from Star Trek Nemesis, who is apparently from the Kelvin timeline. I don't think he's a Reman. Oh, no. What did he? No, he's... Well, uh, uh, he, He's he's something else. You, uh, um, so Lieutenant Commander Yor. Yor. Oh, he's yeah. he's from Beetlejuice. Okay, right. I he he's a Beetlejuiceian. I didn't look it up. <laughs> I just kind of went from memory, and that's my mistake. Uh, yeah, but they they did say that he was he came from another timeline caused by the temporal incursion of a Romulan mining ship. Yes, and the whole plot line of the first JJ uh, Star Trek movie. Right. And so he is from the Kelvin timeline. That is correct. So that and he's it, wearing a first generate first season uh, TNG episode, uh, TNG Starfleet uniform. Right. So he and, and ended up being a time soldier, quote unquote. And because he jumped yep. time and dimensions, he is uh, he suffered the same effects that Giorgio is and had he had ended up having to be euthanized, I guess, is the, the way they phrase and it. And basically what happens is they go out of phase. But it's very painful. It's not like the, not like the um the the seed seed ship where that the the doctor got put out of phase by the transporter. It, it's right. very painful, and it just it it's not a horrible way to die, basically. And she's worse off because the mirror universe is diverging. I think is what he says. Yep. Yeah. Also, yours name is a classic sci-fi reference to the 1983 movie. You're the hunter from the future. Oh, mm. nice. Yeah. Well, and of course, Days of Yore is a reference to the past, so a time soldier, too, which is. Uh, kind of, that's, yeah, although that's spelled differently. It but is spelled yeah, differently, but I not? wonder if the original was sort of like that, too. Anyway, uh, Georgia's instincts is she wants to die uh, in battle, which is why she's been provoking everyone, apparently, like as a mm-hmm. as a as a Terran. As I put here, it's a nice refresher from the touchy feely. We're all just friends here, crew. Like she's like being really mean to everybody. Uh so glasses says she's toast like she there's no cure but because they have the sphere data merged with the the 31st century databases they have identified a planet where a cure for giorgio could be found to to cure her potentially it's like a five percent chance at least yeah five percent chance versus no chance so right yeah the planet is danis five i like by the way as part of the uh provoking even though it's a little heavy handed. At least we're going to get away from it so I can accept it. Mm. Um, and I do like that. He says that a Terran's first instinct is going to be to try to die in glorious battle. Yes. And that it operates on an instinctive emotional level. Um, you know, so she's not like f- fully. She. This is just how she's been raised. Yes. Um, and but she's in the mess hall and she like can't pick up a wine glass because her hand is phasing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and that's interesting, you know, to see her struggling to even pick up a glass. Right, right, right. And 
when Tilly comes over and tries to, you know, be nice to her, she tosses her soup at Tilly's face. Uh, just like, <laughs> why won't you fight me? Uh, so exactly. Uh, we're also told that uh, Yor had to die. He couldn't be sent back to his own time because of the ironclad temporal accords. Nothing can violate the temporal accords. And so that's why he ended up having to. And interdimensional accords. So right. you cannot go to another dimension. You cannot go to another time. I mean, it seems like right. good policy, frankly. I just I just agree with this policy. <laughs> yeah, forget the, the temporal prime directive, just flat out, don't go back in time. Yes. Uh, so when they propose this idea of going to this planet, you know, uh, jumping there, uh, Saru is like, no, sorry, we can't go there. The Emerald Chain is acting up and, you know, obviously Starfleet will want to stick by. But it's Vance who says, no, you can go. <laughs> Like it's sort of yeah. a surprise. It's like um, it's far away from the Emerald Chain, so we don't have to worry about that. And uh, he does ask Burnham, though, if will you be able to make the hard call with Giorgio because mm-hmm. you hesitated with Arium when the whole crew's lives were on the line? Like, so he's questioning her. Are you committed to being able to do the hard thing? If you have to sacrifice Giorgio to save the crew, will you be able to do it? And that's mm-hmm. so the, she's being presented with this this situation where she almost failed before, I guess, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Um, and I wonder what, what Vance is up to here because is he prepping Giorgio for being, for making such decisions? I well, mean, I th- burn him. I'm sorry. prepping Michael. Yeah. yeah. Well, he is, uh, this is clearly mm-hmm. foreshadowing. We're clearly not going to have, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't <laughs> think I am. We're not going to have Giorgio on the other side of this two parter. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She, and, and the probable solution since her atoms are trying to get back to her own universe and to her own time, she's going to get stuck back in the 23rd century. You know, right? that's, that's how she's going to, that's yeah. how she's going to be around for the, um, for the Section 31 series. Well, yeah, that's where we kind of speculated uh, last episode that this was going to be the the reason why she needed to go back to the 23rd century, because otherwise she would, you know, go out of phase and die. Right. But if they can send her back now, seeing her go through the uh, a portal, a door was not quite what we expected, but right. Hey, it works. Well, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> get there. Also, yeah. look at all of the goodbyes we have where mm-hmm. we have. I mean, Saru flat out says, I don't think we'll see you again. Right. And Tilly hugs her and yes. she allows herself to be hugged and in very uncomfortably. But you don't do that if you're if this isn't a real goodbye to the character. So I want to I want to uh, follow up first on something Vance says to Saru, because I feel like this is another bit of foreshadowing. So Vance says, mm-hmm. you, you know, Saru's like, why? I, I'm surprised that you're letting us go. And Vance says. If you let a crew member die without trying to help, the crew will never look at you the same way again, and you won't look at yourself right. the same way again, which advances obviously revealing something about his own regrets and personal history. history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also feel like it's we're, we're going to soon get revealed whatever it is the darkness at the heart of the 31st Century Federation is, is going to come out, and so probably by the end of the mm-hmm. season. <clears throat> so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I wonder if we already have that little teaser with the the ship uh that that sent out the distress signal yes because we haven't talked about that yet but they you know they did decode the distress signal and it turns out it's a kelpian science ship i think is basically what they said it was right yeah that was visiting a dilithium nursery in the nebula when the burn happened yes yes well gee i wonder if that has anything to do with the burn dilithium nursery (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. In any case, uh, Giorgio, before she goes, is, is there, there's a scene in the gym 
where Giorgio tries to get Burnham to, to fight her and kill her. Uh, a glorious death is the greatest honor. But Burnham says in this universe, there is no honor there. Well, unless you're Klingon. Uh, the honor is in mm. facing whatever faces you on this planet that we're going to. Is what she says to her. And after she agrees to go to the planet, there's a conversation in the hallway where Giorgio says she's looking forward to it and she hopes it involves battle because, quote, those who I take with me in battle will be my servants in the afterlife. Mm. Close quote. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So this is, if you know anything about true crime, yep. that's the philosophy of the Zodiac killer. Okay. Back nice. in 1968 and 69 in the Bay Area of yeah. California, there was this killer who never got caught named Zodiac, and he killed like at least five people. And he sent these letters to newspapers, including cryptograms, one of which was just solved last week. Yep. Um, mm. But he he sent these uh, letters in which he explained his philosophy and he claimed now I think this is misdirection. I don't know that he really believed this because he's a liar as well as a killer. But um, but he said that the reason he was killing people was because they would become he would be reborn in paradise upon his death and all the people he had killed would be his slaves. And mm. in fact, in the cryptogram that was decoded last week, he says he's not afraid of going to the gas chamber because he's, he knows he'll be reborn in paradise and have all these slaves. So his afterlife will be an easy one. And for writers who are in California I and to express put this sentiment on Giorgio's lips, it's like. Yeah, this is the Zodiac killer philosophy is predominant <laughs> in the mirror universe. Well. And yeah, timing on that, too. The uh, amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, they, I'm sure they didn't know that was going to happen. Right. But to come out the same yeah. week, that is spooky. That's funny. Uh, so uh, Burnham gives her a death Fitbit. Um, <laughs> this is what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> Says uh, if when, when it goes red, it means you're going to die. So let's hope it doesn't get to red. Um, spoilers. It's going to turn red at some point. So just, I mean, like, it's yeah. clearly well, the Chekhov's death probably fit. Probably, kind of. <laughs> so maybe. Uh, yeah. Well, something, something's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, she's not going to die, but they will get to the point where, oh, the Fitbit is telling me bad things. Uh, mm. I like that Saru in the goodbye doesn't mince words with her. Like, yeah, this is. This is probably the last time I'll ever see you alive. But um, yeah. I learned a lot from you, <laughs> which is, you know, a yeah. nice thing to say. Uh, Tilly says, also tells her, you've been good for me, weirdly. Like, like that. Yeah. She says it's been weird yeah. that she's been good for her and gives her a hug. So that's interesting. Oh, meanwhile, um, uh, Book. Yes. Has followed up on Michael telling him he needs to talk to Saru if he wants to join Starfleet. And so he does talk to Saru. But Saru kind of pushes him off and says you got to prove yourself so right. look for your opportunity to prove yourself yeah and go uh, read the field manual yeah. yeah well it's like he book wants to like go to his sources get all this information about the emerald chain and Sue's like no we have to rely on protocol just like i did when discovery arrived in the 31st century you know you have to we all have to live by protocol or whatever so uh book is kind of like you have to start at the bottom, <laughs> then work your way up. Yep. Uh, Burnham and Giorgio beam down. They end up walking across the surface of the snowy planet, i.e. Uh, Iceland, 
which is where they yeah, filmed well, a lot I love of the it season. Where, where Giorgio says something like, I've never seen a planet this empty. It's like, you've never been to Montana. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I assume even in, in the mirror universe, Montana is still a desolate place. <laughs> right. Especially in winter. Uh, so it, it does. I would think the Terran Empire would have bombed certain planets to being that empty. <laughs> right. Well, that's true. Uh, so I found that them walking, you know, this journey across the, the empty planet echoed a bit of that the f season the series premiere oh yeah oh yeah Giorgio mm-hmm. and Burnham so we're we're definitely getting this echo and that's why uh, Jimmy I agree I think that we're seeing the end of Giorgio's time and discovery and that we're bookending the two the you know the the, the appearances sense, yeah. yeah we had this we had the sand desert with the prime Giorgio and now we have the snow desert with the mirror Giorgio right mm-hmm. uh and this is where the, the, the everything takes a left turn. <laughs> They really <laughs> so they encounter yeah. a man uh, played by uh, uh, Robert Robert Paul Roger Gilfoyle. Paul Gilfoyle Paul Gilfoyle right who I love as an actor he's like I remember from CSI and some other stuff he's done he's really yeah, great he was Captain Jim Brass in the original CSI for like almost the entire run of it yeah I and mean, he was in there for like fourteen of the fifteen years right so he's dressed in I would say early to mid twentieth century clothes he's got a bowler yeah. hat. Um, sitting in an Adirondack chair, reading a paper with a door just standing in the snow beside him, uh, who tells dad jokes and encourages Georgia to go through the door. And, and do you notice that the paper was the Star Dispatch, which was the same paper on City of the Edge for of forever? Well, in fact, the back of the paper has a photo of Edith Keeler's soup kitchen. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yep. So and it says good soup. I can help. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So let's let's open the floor. Who is he? Is he Q? Is he the guardian of forever? What is he? I don't know what he is. I think he's probably something new, but he mm-hmm. he he ties into other things. And if you look at the paper, so Star Dispatch is it is used in City on the Edge of Forever. Mm-hmm. It's also a stock paper that shows up in other Hollywood productions okay. whenever you need a fictional newspaper. It's like Oceana Airlines. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, five, five, it, five. That's not just that's yeah. not just lost. It's all over the place or the area code or the pre- phone prefix five, five, five. Right. Um. There are a bunch of uh, Easter eggs on the on the newspaper he's reading. Now, the big headline that he's focused on is Emperor Giorgio dies horrible, painful death. Right. And this is tomorrow's edition of the newspaper. So she's not dead yet. But the other uh, the other articles have headlines like Supernova threatens to con empire. Mm. And if you remember the Takan Empire from Next Gen had a portal system that mm, lets you right. transport between different star systems by basically walking through a door. That's right. So he he may be related to that. Another headline is Starship USS Janolan reported to be missing. That was Scotty's starship that he got trapped in the transporter loop for ages. That's right. There are there's also a hexagon based crossword puzzle with hexagons instead of squares. Uh, there is a the price of the newspaper is given in Quatlu's and there is a reference to Worf wins Batleth competition. And that's a reference to that episode of next gen where Worf is hopping between realities while uh, after just having won a Batleth competition or not. Hmm. So we're invoking a lot of things that tie into aspects of Star Trek history that involve time jumps and dimension jumps and doorways. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So 
What do you think of the odds are that this guy is a Q or Q of of another sort? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say a Q. I, I don't think a Q. I think there's there's something else there. Okay. He says his name is Carl and not Q. Mm-hmm. So okay. I think that's that's prima facie evidence that he's not Q. Okay. Or a Q. Um, I I suspect he's something. He's obviously something very powerful. He might be like Tremaine, right? Um, Who some people he, have suspected was also a Q. A Q, yeah. yeah. Um, he could be connected with the Takan Empire. He could be connected with the Guardian of Forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he could be something new that's just kind of similar to all these. What I love about it is he's so out of left field. Yes. Because mm-hmm. effectively, even though there will ultimately be a scientific explanation, Arthur C. Clarke's rule is in, is in play here. This is indistinguishable from magic. Right. Um, This we're basically we have a magical tale at this point. Yeah. And um, and I like even though some of his jokes are 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 pretty lame. I do like some of his jokes, like when Michael is like, what is this talking about the door? He's like, well, it's a door. Maybe you uh, what will where will Giorgio be if she goes through it? She'll be on the other side. Maybe you should have studied up on doors a little before you came down here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, he it really knocks her on her on her heels uh, in this one. It, it, so it takes the wind out of her out of her sails a bit. So uh, so while and while this is going on, uh uh, on the surface of the planet, back on Discovery, this is when uh, Saru is getting a look at the holographic recording from the distress call in the nebula and sees that it's a Kelpian. And uh, the message started transmitting a few years before the burn. And they are they say that they're awaiting re- a rescue ship that apparently never comes. And it's mm-hmm. been running on a loop. So my speculation on this is that they they waited and waited and nobody came so they were trying something that helps that they would thought would help them get out which caused the burn so right. that's my my guess of what what happened but uh this is apparently they're going to find the 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 reason for the burn and it's probably going to bring us to the end of the season well there's there's a potential um bug if you will in in their their plot here where They've got the you know the codes to get into the computer, and so they're just going to go and do it, even though long distance communications are supposedly down throughout the Federation, and they yeah. can't. Little plot bit hole. of a plot That's hole. The word I was yeah. There's a little bit of a plot hole there where suddenly they'll be able to reach this ship via long distance communications that don't exist supposedly. Yes, they have the prefix code, which is a callback to Rathacon when prefix yep. codes can take control of other ships. Uh, back on the planet, Giorgio decides I'm going to go through the door because what else do I got to do? despite Burnham's reservations. Uh, and so she walks through the door to the mirror universe 900 years previously, prior to the events of the first season, uh, to when, to basically at the time of the launch of her flagship that we see. Uh, that's what she's going that to. That we saw in the first season. Yes. Uh, and so she she's, and lands on Discovery. She's on the, yeah. the ISS Discovery. Being Captain, Captain Killy. Captain Killy. Yep. <laughs> Which... That's how she's if if you turn on the, the closed captioning, that's how they express her. You know, they'll say like mirror Burnham, mirror this, mirror that, Killy. Killy. <laughs> Which is awesome. Yeah. Uh and it's the day when Lorca is was to set off his coup attempt. So this is a a big day in Giorgio's the turning point for Giorgio and also for Discovery, because this is what's going to send Lorca off to the prime universe as well. 
and I really hope they bring him back in part two of this. Oh, I yeah. kept waiting for part one, and yep. I know they could write their way around it, but it won't feel the same if they take us to the day of his betrayal and don't show us him. Right, right. We do right. have lots of uh, Mira Burnham and Giorgio verbally sparring, but Giorgio... Commander, by the way... Oh, by the way, Commander Landry is back. Yes, yep. she's back. Yeah, yeah, she's back. She's not dead so in this universe. A, um, and Arium is here, but not a cyborg. Right, right. And um, Giorgio is changed by her time in the Prime universe. She's less mm-hmm. of a bloodthirsty tyrant than she was before. And we're, so we're clearly showing that she's going through this experience, and whether it's a dream, whether it's reality or what, She's going through this experience and in understanding how she has been changed by her encounters with Burnham and the rest of Discovery. Yeah. Now, Carl told her if she goes through the door, her death meter Fitbit will stay green. But there are other things that could kill her. So there are stakes to what she's about to experience. And obviously what they're going for here is Burnham is not as mirror universe as she thinks anymore because Mm -hmm. she's been affected by idealistic prime universe ideals and now how is she going to deal with being thrown back into a pure cutthroat mirror universe environment will she really be able to be as cutthroat as she used to be and of course we're going to see no she can only partially cut someone's throat (laughs) yeah yeah we we see her twice (laughs) fail to kill burnham both Prime right. Burnham and Mirror Universe Burnham. Well, and she also rescues Slave Saru from death when Burnham yeah. orders it. And uh, so, and, and but she turns it so that she makes Slave Saru into her informant on Bur- on Mirror Burnham. Uh, and she, she asks him, you know, in private, why is Burnham betraying her? And he says, Burnham senses weakness and Terrence can only respect strength. Um, then we have this ceremony for the christening of the flagship. I forget what the name of it is. Uh, and Karen. They have, okay, Karen. Uh, and they, we have this weird play <laughs> to, as the uh, as the ceremony that kind is, of kind of a Greek kind of a Greek play where it's a, a narrated yes, acrobatic. Yes, yeah. yes. It's 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 like a weird mirror universe version of Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, she ends up having to kill Stamets as he as he's about to stab her. Uh, so Stamets dies, uh, which which is a change from the first season because yeah. Mirror Stamets was alive during the first season. And this is before that. Right. So we're either changing history or this is something else that still has stakes, but is not history. So it's interesting. Uh, or it's a whole nother timeline. Yeah. couple before we get to the end of of that, I wanted to mention. So in her interactions with Mirror Saru, Giorgio knows about the Vaharai mm-hmm. from the prime universe, which, if allowed to run its course, will turn uh, a Kelpian into a predator. Yes. Yep. And so so Saru in this universe does not know that. He thinks it's a madness that ends in death and the Terrans are being merciful by calling them just like the Ba'ul did in the prime timeline. Right. And he's amazed that um, that uh, she even knows about the the word Vaharai yep. uh, because they use it among themselves. And she um, seems to me to be maybe setting, the, I think one of the things they may do with that 
is uh, have her be the means of Kelpian liberation in the mirror universe. Hmm. She may let slip enough knowledge of what the Vaharai really is right. to enable this to happen in their universe, in which case it would be the, the Kelpians throwing off or disrupting Terran plans right. rather than Ba'ul plans. Um, also, uh, what Saru tells, part of what Saru tells her is that Mirror Michael can't survive if she loves what is weak. Right. And so Michael will die if she loves Giorgio and Giorgio is perceived as being weak. So this right. momentarily reroutes um, Giorgio to show more strength, which leads mm -hmm. to her killing Stamets. Yes. Um, and thus changing the timeline from what we saw in season one. Also, I couldn't help but she, in order to go to the stage play that's in her honor and talks about her rise to being Empress, mm -hmm. um, she puts on this elaborate headdress mm -hmm. that and and dress uh, that is really long and flowing. And for a universe, this cutthroat wearing that unbalancy headdress and that really long dress with a really long train, all I could think was no capes. <laughs> no capes. Yeah, no capes. <laughs> well, maybe maybe putting yourself like is is a sign of strength. Like even uh, even though I have to wear this, I'm still strong enough to bend. Uh, well. Whatever, but <laughs> yeah, I, I can kill you and still look good. Exactly, I can kill you in heels. Uh, I, there is one point where she's standing with this headdress, and the sun, or you know, or whatever the behind Karan. her, shining through it. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the ship. They they frame it in such a way, which was a, a nice, clever uh, framing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it makes her look a little bit like Amaterasu, the Japanese sun goddess. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, even uh, though she's Chinese. So Burnham confronts or Giorgio confronts Burnham and Burnham says she hates Giorgio for plucking her from her trash heap. Remember, that's how Giorgio adopted uh, the child, uh, Burnham, because she adopted her from a trash heap. Mm -hmm. um, and she's I hated you for that because I was queen of the trash heap and now I'm just a tool for the empress. Like the, just a shadow of you. I have to live yeah. in your shadow and all this kind of stuff. You're the and, crown princess uh, of the Terran Empire. I mean, hello. <laughs> I, but, you know, the mirror universe is twisted. And I like so this happens when Michael is about ready to make her move as part of Lorca's um, mm -hmm. coup. Mm -hmm. And and uh, Giorgio turns the tables on her right. and says, you know, confess and I'll spare your life. And so Michael confesses and she reveals her own twisted reason for resenting her mom, even though she's like next in line to be empress if she survives. Right. Um, it's because you took me out of that trash heap that I was queen of. And and now I'm now I have to live in your shadow and I resent that. And so I'm betraying you so I can ascend to your place, in essence. And I found not only I found not only that interesting. I found this Michael vastly more interesting than our own <laughs> because she uh, she's just so much more. And the actress's portrayal, I mean, Sonequa Martin-Green's portrayal mm -hmm. is just so much more interesting. I mean, she's like putting on this kind of little girl vibe and yeah. and it's dark and it's creepy it's and yeah, creepy and and. And she's daring her mom to to kill her by cutting her head off. And she's get voluntarily gets down on her knees and she's like, 
do it. <laughs> and yeah. it, it's 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 just so much more interesting because she's not wallowing in her in her, in her emotions and talking about them. She's unreflectively acting. Uh, taking action. Yeah. Clearly, the problems with the character of Burnham are not Sneaker Martin Green's problem. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's clearly, it's how she's being written and directed. Uh, Father Corey, you said something to me before we started recording about your your thoughts on the difference in, in Burnham here. So, well, I mean, first of all, you know, we, we've talked about before where uh, Burnham has been taken down a few notches, including this episode where Giorgio basically says, you need to learn how to shut up. Right. You know, and I almost wonder between that and how other characters are actually starting to get much more prominent roles within the episodes, if they're actually trying, probably failing, but trying nonetheless to de Mary Sue, Michael Burnham, mm. they're trying to actually take her down from that. Now I'm not going to say they're succeeding, but they're introduced to new Mary Sue's. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, <laughs> they replace her with other Mary Sue's, but I just, I wonder if, because that's always been a criticism, especially season one that, it wasn't that Michael Burnham was the central character. It's she was the character and everybody else just fed into her. Right. And she fixed everything, you know, and every, you know, all solutions flowed out from Burnham. To and could do no, could do no wrong. Right. Even her attacking the, the, the Klingons in the first episode was doing no wrong. Well, and because she know. was right. <laughs> it was, the, she was, was right. Was the, the answer on that. But yeah, so I think I think it could be an attempt to sort of spread things out a bit and make more of the characters, more of the crew to decentralize. I mean, that was one of the things they talked about with with Discovery. It would be different was it would be decentralized. It wouldn't be just about the captain. It would be about the, you know, the the rest of the Mm -hmm. crew as well. And I think they're they're trying perhaps trying to do more of that. So anyway, Giorgio decides to cut Michael's throat, but because she's not as cutthroat as she used to be, she can only partially cut Michael's throat and draw a little bit of blood. Right. Give her a paper cut. Yes. She says, um, <laughs> she tells her, I know that the future with, turns with out with big, both of us. huge paper cutter. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> nice sword. Uh, she tells her that she knows the future turns out with both of them dead. So instead, we're going to do something different and orders her t- to be taken off to the agonizer uh, to spend some time in punishment. But that that and that's where we end setting up Terra Firma Part Two. Um, so, yeah. uh, Terra Firma, by the way, the title is the chant. Solid Earth. Yeah, that was. Well, it's a, also the chant. It was the chant. Terra like, Firma, t- Terra Firma, Terra Eterna. Right. Yeah. As she appeared, uh, you know, in in this time in in dimension, they were chanting that to her. So, uh, but yeah, solid, solid Earth, uh, solid Earth, Earth, Eternal Earth. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, any final thoughts on this episode before we move on? Father Corey, just one quick, one quick thing. You know, of course, you know, Burnham called herself the queen of the trash heap. Also, she's from Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock, that's right. <laughs> Down in Fraggle Rock, <laughs> uh, Jimmy. I like some of the background details they had in the Mirror Universe. Like at one point, they go to the galley, and you see the crew there just relaxing. And there's one group that has like portable agonizers and yeah. they're, they're like dueling each other by each holding their agonizer <laughs> and turning it on and seeing how long they can stand it. And I thought, and they never even discuss this. They just show us this in the background, but I just love that because yeah, you would have this macho who can endure a handheld agonizer as long as possible mm. as a kind of macho competition. I mean, even in our universe, 
there are people who will tase each other for fun. <laughs> yes. And and so I can easily see how they would be using agonizers for that purpose in the mirror universe. Right. Well, also like the uh, the apple off the head, you know, using the dagger to lot to yeah. take the apple off someone else's head. <laughs> yes, this is not a universe that any of us would like to live in. Uh, although the uh, uniforms are kind of uh, interesting. Uh, all right, so uh, that's that does it. I think for part one, of course, next next time will be part two. But before we wrap up, we do have a, a bit of email from a listener. We have uh, Bradley Chombley sends us an email. Uh, and says, uh, I have recently just recently found your Secrets of Star Trek podcast a few months ago. I'm a Methodist minister in rural Alabama and really enjoy hearing your insights to not only Star Trek, but how often your faith intersects the conversation. Thanks so much for all the hard work y'all do. Your podcast often, quote, strangely warms, Methodist history joke, my heart as I listen on my morning commutes. Again, thanks, blessings, and live long and prosper. Thanks, Bradley. Oh, it's very nice. Well, thank you. And, yes, and thank for you. people who aren't familiar with Methodist history, he's alluding to the very beginning of Methodist history because John Wesley back in 1738 was uh, listening to a lecture uh, about Romans from the letter to the Romans from Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans when he felt his heart strangely warmed by the message. <laughs> ah, and that you. led to Methodism. Uh, well, uh, we'll take that as a compliment then, I guess. <laughs> well, thanks, Bradley. Uh, we, I'm glad you're listening and uh, we, uh, we hope you continue and enjoy it. Uh, all right. Uh, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek, including Francesco M., JP, Andrea M., Eric A., and Cher W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give Make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of Terra Firma Part 1? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. And of course, we'll be back next time to discuss Terra Firma Part 2. Until then. This time, it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you. Live long and prosper and terra firma. Terra eterna. Father Corey Stiga, thank you as well. <laughs> thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, what do you call a cute portal? Adorable. A clown held a door open for me. It was a nice jester. <laughs> <laughs>